word of God affect your life in such a way that you are different, you're growing as a believer. So today, I'm going to challenge you, we're going to talk about, can you correctly test the spirits? Do you recognize the teaching that confesses Jesus as Lord and the teaching that the culture teaches that we are Lord, that you are your own God? So we're going to do see those things today in chapter 4 of 1 John. So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to chapter 4 of 1 John. It's right near the end, only a couple of pages prior to the last book of the Bible of Revelation. So 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to see today that our beliefs matter, that knowing the truth in and of itself doesn't save you. Even the, belief, even the demons believe, but having bad doctrine can be, uh, can be uh, harmful. It can be devastating. It can be crippling. And bad doctrine will tell you such things as the central goal of life is to be happy or to feel good about yourself. Bad doctrine will tell you that if you're good, you go to heaven. Bad doctrine will tell you that God doesn't really want or need to be involved in your life, except when there's a problem, and that's when he wants to be involved. When you've got some problem, then God wants to be involved. So that's bad doctrine. At best, that's just a twist on the scriptures. So we can so easily be swept up in believing lies. We can believe, believe lies that seem like they're true. So the Bible itself is doctrine. It's God's revelation to us of who he is and what he desires. Your beliefs matter. And so the question I have for you today is, are we a people of the book? Do we take the word of God seriously? When we come to a hard saying, a hard truth, do we receive it or do we try to get around it, try to explain it away, try to see how this doesn't really apply to, to me, to my life today? So do we value our feelings, our experiences, the wisdom of the culture of today more than we value the truth of Scripture? So we're going to read just the first six verses of chapter 4 of First John. And we read John say, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have left it for us as truth, that we can count on it, that it, it doesn't change, that as opposed to our culture, as opposed to our feelings, that it's, it's solid, it's bedrock, it's never going to change, and we thank you for that. God, I pray that we would be a people of your word, that we would be under your word, that we would receive it, even the hard things, and that we would believe what you say over anything else that we might hear. I pray that that would be the message that we receive today, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me 
set out what I'm, I'm going to do today. I'm going to briefly walk through these six verses and tell you, try to apply this to, or t- try to tell you what John was talking about in the church when he wrote this letter. And then I'm going to, and that's going to be relatively short. And then I'm going to pull back and apply this to our lives today. How is this, these six verses, how does that apply to our life today? So let me first remind you of the backstory on why John was writing this letter to the churches in Asia Minor. The early church was just getting started. And just like today, there were plenty of opportunities for false doctrine, plenty of opportunities for false teaching to come into the church. And John was reminding them not to believe everything that they hear. And that's pretty good advice, even for today. Um, How many times have we seen the media report something that we later find out they report something opposite? Like, here all this time I thought Diet Coke was good. And and now I'm being told that I'm dying because I'm drinking Diet Coke, right? So uh, how many times in in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm not that old, has our culture changed its position on something? Something that was true 30 years ago, now in our culture today, is not true. So John is saying, don't believe everything that you hear. Truth is relative. The world says that it's okay for you to believe whatever you want. I can have my truth, and you can have your truth. That's what the world tells us. In fact, today's world says that if if you say there's truth, if you say that there's right and there's wrong, if you say that there's good and there's evil, then you're being judgmental. But Jesus said in John 7, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So it is okay to judge right from wrong. It's okay to say this is good and this is evil. It's okay to say that because we can say that I know the truth because it's been revealed in the scriptures. So just because the world says that you're intolerant doesn't mean that you actually are intolerant. So in verses 2 and 3, John gives us a litmus test of sorts for determining what's right and what's wrong, determining truth from lies. He says, if someone confesses that Jesus is a man as well as God, then you can trust that person. But if someone comes with a contrary view of who Jesus is, then don't trust that person. In other words, test the spirits by the word of the apostles, by the word of the prophets, that is, by the scriptures. Test the spirits, test what's right and wrong by looking at the scriptures. We can trust someone whose words match the claims of scripture. And if someone's claims don't match scripture, then we shouldn't trust that person. And furthermore, that person is the Antichrist. He's of the devil, so watch out for that person. But verse 4 assures us that we shouldn't be afraid of the devil. The Holy Spirit who is within you as a believer is stronger than the ruler of this world. So we need to be aware of false teachers. We need to understand that there is such a thing as false teaching, but we need not be afraid. So if you're a believer in Jesus, then you're on the winning side. But understand, dear Christian who's here today, that just because you're on the winning side, there will still be trouble in this world. Verse 5 shows us that not every person believes. So if you feel like you're the only person that you know outside of this fellowship who is a believer in Christ, you're in good company. Jesus didn't convince most of the people that he came into contact with. Most of the people that he came into contact with rejected him. So you're not alone. Not everyone is going to believe. And then finally in verse 6, John says that those who are not true believers will resist sound doctrine. 
Those who are not true believers will resist sound doctrine. They'll do more than struggle with the faith. I struggle with doctrine. There's some things in Scripture that I struggle with, but they'll do more than struggle with it. They'll, they'll, they'll uh, just reject it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They'll refuse to consider the truth. The truth doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't fit their me-centered view of the world. So I think we could sum up these six verses with this statement. There is an enemy who seeks to confuse us, to lead us astray from the truth. But if you know the truth, you have the Holy Spirit, and he is greater than the devil. He is greater than the world that seeks to deceive you with lies. If you know the truth, if you know sound doctrine, if you believe correctly, then you're a true follower of Jesus, and you won't be led astray by false teachers. So to put it another way, and this is key, the the legitimacy of a teaching or a position on something should be determined by the content of the message. It shouldn't be determined by who's giving the message. The legitimacy of a teaching shouldn't be determined by who's giving the message. It shouldn't be how I feel about the message. It's the content of the message. Mainly, does it match what is said in Scripture? Does it match? Does it, is it backed up by Scripture? So John is shouting to his readers, your beliefs matter. And let's explore why that is. So John's saying it's very important that we know the truth, so we're not led astray by false teachers. So where do we find truth today? Where do we find truth today? Is it, is it trust your feelings, Luke? Is it whatever feels good to you must be true? Is it the government? Is it the law? Is it the next political candidate where I can find truth? Is it my heart? Well, when it comes to believing your feelings or believing scripture, what's true? What do you believe? What are you going to trust? Is it the Bible that says that this is how things work or how they ought to work? Or is it my experiences that tell me this is how things ought to work? Well, let me tell you right now that God is holy, he's perfect, and he's often going to disagree with the feelings of me and you who are sinful and who are finite. So we can trust God more than we can trust our feelings. But still, some would say, just be true to yourself. Whatever direction you think is best, just go for it. And I I am reminded of, there was a a woman in our church years and years ago. She's moved out of state. uh, Seemed like a smart gal uh, in her mid-20s. And she believed that whichever direction, listen to this. You're not going to believe this. She's in her mid-20s. She believed that whichever direction she was facing or driving was north. So if I'm her, this is east. And now this is east, right? (laughs) It sounds implausible to think that somebody in their 20s could think that, but she believed that. So don't we do something similar? Isn't that what we're doing when we do what feels right to us? Isn't that what we do when we place our trust in laws or political systems? Isn't that what we do when we put our trust in our feelings or in our what we consider to be the most logical choice for us. That kind of truth is relative. That kind of truth changes whenever you turn your head. It changes with the times. Changes whenever the social norms in society change. So there must be something more solid than that. Well, let me tell you today that there's something that you can believe that's bedrock. It never changes. It never shifts. It's the true north in our compass. It will always be true. 
And that's God's word. It helps us to navigate the crazy world that we live in today. And you will not please God. You will not find your way in this world if you don't make the truth of Scripture your compass, if you don't make that what guides you. It's how you test the spirits. So let me explain that for a second. How do we know who God is? How do we know anything about God? It's, it's through the Scriptures. It's only through the Scriptures. The only way we really know who God is today is through the Word of God. Now, I may claim to know God. I may tell you today that God told me last night that I am actually his great uncle. Now, should you believe that? Should I believe that? I need to test the spirits. I, I can't just trust my feelings. I can't just trust what I think God told me. I have to look at Scripture. What does Scripture say? Does it back up what I just said or not? Those false teachers that John was, was writing about, they believed that Jesus was man, or excuse me, they believed that Jesus was spirit only. They didn't believe that Jesus was, was flesh, and, flesh and bones. They believed that, that he was only spirit. But they were wrong. Those false teachers were wrong about that. And how do we know that they were wrong? Well, we know by testing the spirits through Scripture. Luke 24, Jesus says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So we know that Jesus was both God and man because we can see it in the scriptures. So we know that those false teachers that John was talking about or writing about in 1 John were wrong by testing the spirits, by looking at the words of the apostles and the prophets. And then we act on that truth by we, we, we accept it and then we proclaim it as well. It's the same thing with right and wrong. We test the spirits to know right from wrong by examining God's word. So do you want to be known as a man of the word? Do you want to be known as a woman of the word? I would challenge you today to know the scripture. Men, myself included, we should want to know scripture better than we know the statistics of some 20-year-old who plays a game. And women, you should want to know Scripture better than you know the latest details of some celebrity who will be dead and gone or forgotten 20 years from now or 50 years from now. We should want to know Scripture. So why, then, does all of this matter? Why does all of this matter? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you three real, practical, everyday 2014 examples for why you need to take Scripture seriously, why your beliefs ought to matter, why John's words to test the spirits are every bit as applicable today as they were 2,000 years ago. So let me warn you, I, I hope this is not true, but I, I am imagining that I might make some people frustrated or angry with some of these examples. That's not my intention. Uh, if you are confused or angry by anything that I say, please talk to me after the service. I don't want anybody to leave today confused or angry about something that I said. So come and talk to me about this. I'd love to speak with you about that. You'll see why in just a second. Here's my three real-life examples. When a crisis hits, how do you deal with suffering? In a changing world, talking about sexual ethics, specifically homosexuality, and then in everyday life, looking at your finances and your possessions. So suffering homosexuality, finances. I'm bound to offend somebody, right? I hope not, but I, I think that may be the case. 
So in Scripture, when people heard a teacher say something they didn't like, what would they do? Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. I hope you treat me better than that today. So a few words about these three examples. First, we don't have time. I don't have time to go into great detail on any of them. So I'm not going to try to prove definitively any of these three things to you today, the truth of Scripture about any of these things. But we've taught on every single one of these topics before. So this is not a new thing. If you've been at Church on Mill for a long time, you've heard these things that I'm going to say. So we've taught on these topics before. So I don't have time to tell you everything that Scripture says about suffering or everything that Scripture says about sexual ethics or everything that Scripture says about your finances or possessions. But I do have time to talk with you after the service about that or sometime later this week. So please contact me if you want to talk about this further. And you have time yourself to look at the Scriptures. We ought to be looking at the Scriptures ourselves. So you have time to look at that today or later this week at at any of these topics. So if you're offended or if you're put off by anything that I say today, I would just ask you, lovingly ask you to ask yourself this. Why am I feeling this way about this topic? Why am I having this reaction? Is it because some celebrity told me I ought to feel this way? Is it because my mama told me I ought to feel this way? Is it because I'm thinking about how this affects my life, my personal life, my choices, or how it affects uh, my friends' choices? Or am I letting the Word of God affect my response to these topics? Am I letting the Word of God tell me what I ought to respond or how I ought to be feeling or thinking or believing about these topics? To truly be men and women of the Word, we have to test the spirits. So, Before we get started, let me just point out that last week's passage was about love. Next week's passage is also about love. So this is the the meat in between all of that. Uh, Thanks to Chuck for for giving me this passage. So let's, I think that's intentional, by the way, why God has that in Scripture, right? This is a tough message if we really look at this, what this means and how we, we should apply this to our lives. So First, how do you respond when a crisis hits? How do you respond when a crisis hits? Think about some times in the past that you struggled, when you struggled with something. How do you handle suffering? Well, suffering is a part of life. It's a part of life for the Christian and the non-Christian alike. Uh, Just ask Michael Brown's parents or the people in and around Ferguson, Missouri. Suffering is a part of life. It's been said that you're either in a valley You're coming out of a valley or you're headed into a valley. And suffering hurts. I don't like to suffer. But what I've noticed about myself and about other Christians is how how they are absolutely shocked when they go through a trial. They're blindsided when they suffer, when they struggle. They, They don't understand, how could this be happening to me? How could God let this happen to me? And that shock often turns into anger at God. And then it turns into a loss of belief in God. And why is that? Why do they feel that way? It's because beliefs matter. Your beliefs matter. We have a tendency to believe that once we become a Christian, we shouldn't suffer. But what does scripture say? It says this several places, but one one in particular. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12 that we should not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 
So you will suffer for a variety of reasons, not, not the least of which is that you're a Christian. But God is a good and loving God. He's sovereign. He's sovereign even over suffering. God's in control, and he doesn't allow things to happen to us that he ultimately doesn't want to make us more into his likeness, more into the image of Christ. So because God is is sovereign, we know that he has many purposes over suffering. And on the screen behind me, you'll see several verses that describe several of the purposes for suffering. Over all of these, we don't have time to go over all of them. That's not an exhaustive list, by the way, but those are some examples of the purposes in Scripture for suffering. But listen, even if you don't know the reason, even if you don't know the reason for your current time of suffering, we're still the created, and we're not the creator. When we start putting demands on God about how our lives ought to be, then we're taking his place as the creator, and we're treating him like he's the created. So remember that our creator suffered on our behalf, and he's able to empathize with our sufferings. Hebrews 2.18 reads, Because Jesus himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So dear Christian here today, please understand, you will suffer. Don't be caught off guard when you suffer. Don't let your faith be shaken. Be prepared now by knowing the word of God. Without scripture, if we didn't have scripture, suffering just seems like karma. Suffering just seems like we have an angry, flippant, uncaring God. But with the help of scripture, I don't have to find my own personal meaning in suffering. I can trust that God has me in his hands. And in the end, because of scripture, I can know that God is compassionate and he's loving. He's merciful. And we don't know that without scripture. So instead of running from God or being angry at God in the midst of your trials and the midst of your suffering, understand the purposes of suffering. And that it points us towards a loving, sovereign God. So your beliefs matter in a crisis. They matter in the midst of suffering. Your beliefs also matter in a changing world. And the preeminent issue facing the church today is sexual ethics. A pastor and author, Mark Dever, said, Some people think of world religions as Christianity's main competitors. Yet I think it can be fairly said that the main competitor that Christianity faces today in the West is not Islam or Judaism. It is not atheism or Hinduism. It is eroticism, the increasingly uninhibited search for fulfilling our sexual passions in whatever form we please. Do you see that? Have you seen that in our changing world? The issue of homosexuality in particular is changing the landscape of our country. It's changing the course of denominations. It's not unfair to say that most denominations have turned away from Scripture and turned away from the the teaching of nearly 2,000 years of teaching and leading of the Holy Spirit in the church. Pastors in the U.S. are actually getting subpoenas for their sermon notes on this subject when they preach on this subject. So what does that have to do? You think to yourself, I'm not a pastor. This doesn't really apply to me. It doesn't matter. But let me tell you that if you haven't already been asked, you will be. You will have to state whether you believe homosexuality is a sin. So is it? Has the church been wrong for nearly 2,000 years? Well, let me, let me tell you straight away 
no pun intended there. Let me tell you straight away. Well, listen. Listen to what I'm saying. Without Scripture, without Scripture telling us right from wrong, without Scripture telling us right from wrong, if I believe that homosexuality is, is sinful or immoral, then I'm just being bigoted. I'm just hating people. And there's no place for that. So let me tell you what I mean. What does Scripture say? Well, first, Scripture is clear that sex is a very good thing. It's a very good thing when it occurs within the confines of a marriage between a husband and a wife. And further, Scripture is clear that sex of any kind outside of marriage is sin. And that includes sex between a man and a woman. So college guys who are having sex with your girlfriend, that means you. Sex with your girlfriend is just as sinful as homosexual sex. There's no differentiation there. Jesus speaks to that in Matthew chapter 5. And Scripture also speaks specifically to homosexuality in several places in Scripture. The, the, probably the preeminent one is, is Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 1. So this, I know, is a tough topic that's not tackled a lot, not talked a lot uh, in, in churches today. But, folks, sex of any type outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. But there is hope and there is, there is help. If you struggle with pornography, if you struggle with uh, same-sex attraction, if you struggle with lust, there is hope and help for you. Scripture talks about this too. Those are not the unpardonable sins. God doesn't just say, don't do it. He points us towards Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there is hope and there is help for you in Jesus if you struggle. So talk to a brother or a sister around you. We would lo- I would love to talk with you. Somebody else around you would love to talk with you through whatever struggle it is that you're going through. Now, I realize that some, maybe most, would say that what I've just said to you is, is uh, intolerant, that I'm being intolerant. And I realize that it's dangerous to talk about this topic without somebody mis- mishearing, misunderstanding, misinterpreting what I'm saying. So I realize that some will have heard me say that I hate homosexuals, right? There's some people that may hear that in what I say. There's nothing could be further from the truth. That's not true. I am just as big of a sinner as anyone. My sin is just as big as yours is. I struggle with things that you probably don't struggle with. I'm just as as much in need of a Savior who will save me, will pour his grace out upon me in my time of need as you are. So if you're afraid, though, of being labeled intolerant, then Scripture takes the pressure off of you. It's not you deciding right and wrong. It's not my feelings saying that this is right or this is wrong. I'm saying that Scripture tells me this, and I'm going to believe in Scripture. I'm going to build my life on the truth of Scripture. I, one last thing. I, I mentioned the winds of cultural change that are sweeping across various churches. Interestingly, every one of the denominations that has said that... Uh, that uh, homosexual activity is not sinful, every single one of them has actually had declining membership. 
You would think that embracing homosexuality, widening the door, so to speak, allowing more people into the church would, would bring more people into the church, but it's actually had the opposite effect. Those churches have had declining memberships. Some, some cases, the churches have closed. Denominations have fallen uh, after, after saying that. And why is that? It's because when you treat the Bible as just a good book with moral sayings, what you end up with is nothing. You end up with nothing. So, dear Christian, save yourself today by building your life on the truth of Scripture. This culture is not suddenly going to become nicer or kinder to Christians. So get ready for that. A truthless Bible results in an empty faith. And when you compromise the Word of God in one area, it doesn't just end there. You end up compromising the Word of God in every area. It doesn't just stop with one thing. So, if you're not trusting the Bible, if you're not trusting every word as the very truth of God, then I would lovingly ask you why. By what authority are you saying that this is not true? By what authority? What are you basing your life upon? Ready to stone me yet? Not yet? Okay, one more. So finally, your beliefs matter in everyday life. I could choose any number of topics here, but I'm going to focus on your finances, on your possessions. So we hold on to our possessions so tightly, especially in America. They define us, but as Christians, we ought to look different than the rest of the world. We ought to be different. One of the reasons that we hold on to our possessions for dear life, why we feel security in our possessions, why we work so many hours, why we're so stingy, in our giving, is because we don't understand the truth that everything we have is really God's. Everything that we have is really his. God has blessed you with everything that you have, and he's called you to be a good steward of those resources. So how different would your life be if you realized the truth of stewardship? In love, Jesus humbled himself as a suffering servant. He obeyed his father perfectly. And he died on a cross so that his people would share in his inheritance. His wealth was spent to make us wealthy. And the mark of one who's been forgiven by Christ is a love for God. And part of that love for God is, is stewarding and using your possessions wisely for his purposes to please him, to honor him. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me stop here and just say, is is this not a portrait of the American dream? Is that not a description of the American? Let's build bigger barns. Let's have a bigger house. Let's get a nicer car. Let's Let's store our money up so that we can have a fantastic retirement where we can retire at 55 and not have to lift a finger, not have to serve, not have to do anything involving other people, where I can just travel the country. Is that not what we want to do, to relax, eat, drink, and be merry? But God said to him, You are a fool. 
This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So beware of storing up treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal, but instead store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. Without Scripture, we just become greedy hoarders, storing up treasures on earth. And then we often twist Scripture as well. We begin to believe the prosperity gospel. We get angry at or we feel betrayed by God when he doesn't give us that promotion that we've been wanting, when he doesn't give us that new car, when we get passed over at work, when we don't um, get that job that we're looking for. So can you imagine the difference that we could make to a spiritually deceived world if we were to actually look different than them, if we were to treat our possessions differently than the rest of the world treats their possessions. So dear Christians, save yourself from the pursuit of money. How would you feel if the person in front of you were to look at your bank account for the last year and how you've spent your money? Does your handling of finances prove that Christ is Lord or does it prove that you are really Lord? Your beliefs matter in everyday life. So finally, we come to how. How do we do this? How, how do we make Scripture the bedrock of our lives? How do we make it the true north in our compass? Let, let me give you three quick ways to make Scripture real in your life, to make it the bedrock of your life. First, we receive the word with humility. James chapter 1 speaks to the humility that we should have as we read the word. In verse 19, James says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So did you catch that? Quick to listen, slow to speak, receiving the implanted word with meekness. We should read Scripture with our defenses down. But often what we end up doing is we, we read Scripture with our mind already made up. If we're defensive about the Bible, if we already don't believe it completely, then when we come to something that we struggle with or that we don't agree with, what do we do? Well, we dismiss it or we say that it's just cultural. It's not applicable to us today. It's applicable to the cultures back then but not to us. Or we say that it's not really what God means or God changed his mind, or the translators got it wrong, or we say that you can't trust the Bible completely. Some of it's true, but some of it's not true. Or we say we don't agree, the part we don't agree with isn't the inspired word of God, that it was just added later. What we end up doing then, if we don't receive the word with humility, is we, we end up twisting God's word to fit our chosen lifestyle. We live the way we want to live, and we fit God's word around it. But we must have humility. So when you read in Scripture that you're to love your enemies, or that you're to join the fellowship of a local church, or that you're not to have sex with your boyfriend, the goal is not to find your way around that Scripture. The goal is to receive it. Receive the word. Let it impact your life. So is God strong enough to protect his word? Does God want us to be confused about what's right and what's wrong? 
It's clear in Scripture. Be humble as you approach God's Word. Secondly, we must read the Word. And if, if we're honest, by next Sunday, you guys will have forgotten most, if not all, of what I've said today. If, if this is the only day that you receive anything from the Word, then that's clearly not enough. Is the Christian faith central to your life, or is Jesus simply just tacked on to the end of your week? Well, what does Scripture tell us? Tell us. And Dan read this passage, or part of this passage earlier, when dedicating Henry. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so hide it in you absorb it in you let it saturate your life the word of god remember it read it give it the value that it deserves memorize it what value are you giving to god's word And then third, we must obey the word. We saw earlier in 1 John chapter 2 that whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. It's not enough, as I said earlier, just to know the word. We must obey it as well. And it would be great to be known as someone who listens to or studies the word, but, but it would be even better to be known as somebody who obeys the word. Put the word into action. The word fuels your life. We're able to act as we rely on the truth of God's word. The word calls us to action. If there's no action, then it proves that there's no acceptance. If you don't obey Jesus, then you haven't accepted Jesus. So in closing, our beliefs matter in a crisis. They matter in a changing culture, and they matter in everyday life. Our beliefs matter. And I asked you earlier about what you trust. Do you trust your feelings or do you trust scripture? Do you trust your circumstances or do you trust scripture? If you're trusting your feelings, if you're trusting anything other than scripture, do you know what you're saying? You're saying that I'm God. I'm the Lord. I determine right and wrong. I determine what's fair. I determine what's best for me. Friends, we don't have to look far to find the standard for us. It's already been given to us. And it's a good standard. It's for our good. It's not just a bunch of rules. But if you have doubts about Scripture, if you have doubts about what's in here, then you're not alone. Christianity was born into a culture that was every bit as unsympathetic to, uh, to its claims as our culture is today. It was every bit as offensive or impossible to believe as it is today. You're not alone if you have doubts. So come and talk to somebody around you. Come and talk to me after the service. We would love to talk with you about your doubts that you may be having about Scripture. Come and see that Scripture was fulfilled by a God who sent his son to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death so that you might have fellowship with him, so that you might have eternal life with him. And for the Christian who's here today, in the early church, the truth of Christianity was expressed with such power 
with such consistency, with such humility, that it changed the culture. It changed the culture around them. The only way that we're going to reach a lost world is to accept this as truth, as 100% without error, and let it pervade our lives so that we become people of the Word who do the Word. So I realize, again, that this is a tough message, that this is the type of message that can make people angry. But this is not about being comfortable. This is about making the Word of God, the Bible, your authority in your life. So there's much joy when we follow Christ. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Your beliefs matter. They matter in a changing world. They matter in everyday life, and they matter in a crisis. So are you a man of the word? Are you a woman of the word? I challenge you to take scripture seriously. Read it, to receive it humbly, to memorize it, to obey it. Let's pray.